Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. The Grit and Grace sermon series continues at First Pres, and today we meet a woman with a little bit of both grit and grace firmly displayed in the story from the Old Testament. You'll find the story of Abigail in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verses 1 through 35. The story is a little complex, so you might want to read it first and then come back to this sermon. Now here's First Pres Associate Pastor Tim Shaw with the sermon, The Diplomat. Good morning, my name's Tim Shaw, one of the pastors here, and we're continuing our sermon series on grit and grace, uh, this study of uh, the great women of the Bible. Um, one of the things I've been enjoying from this study is the fact, the things I'm learning about leadership by looking at these remarkable people. Um, you know, sometimes I like to preach a sermon, I just want to tell you what I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you it, and then I might even tell you what I just told you. So I think that's kind of what we're going to do today. Um, I've got a number of points that I like to make, but you know what's really exciting is that God is here and he wants to say something specifically to you and to me. So he may have a point he wants to make with you that I'm not going to make. So uh, we want to open our hearts to be taught by God's spirit. So join me in prayer as we get ready to study this amazing text. God, we do pray that you would be our teacher. We pray that you would open our hearts and that we would um, hear from you about how you, uh, what you, this text relates to our lives and how you want to shape us and, and uh, form our character and, and, and show us what we could be doing this week that's guided by what you want to say to us today. So God, thank you for your presence of your spirit. We pray that you would be our teacher in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here's what I, some of the things I think this text is going to uh, teach us. Uh, Today's text is going to remind us that great leaders can make big mistakes. What we're going to have to do to really understand uh, Abigail, who is the main focus of this sermon, is to talk about a lot of things that are going on around Abigail when she shows up in the story. So here's uh, your really hot Bible tip of the day. Uh, I want to remind you, uh, you this may be obvious to you, um, that even the great heroes of the Bible... Even those like David, who we're going to talk about, who's described as a person after God's own heart, even these guys make mistakes. So we need to come to the scripture, whenever we're reading it, with our own God-shaped, scripture-informed discernment to be able to understand whether what we're looking at is something we should follow, or is it a cautionary tale, something that I should not be doing. So when it comes to David in this story, he's going to be both an example of what we should not do, I think, as well as an example of what it looks like to be a great leader. The woman that we meet in this story, the person by the name of Abigail, is going to take us to her leadership academy. And what she does in this story is incredibly impressive and courageous. And we can learn, I think, a lot from her. The passage is also going to remind us that we need to engage the world the way the world actually is, with our eyes wide open. Like life itself, these stories are complex. The people in these stories are nuanced. It's not easy to say, these are the good guys and these are the bad guys. The story that we're going to look at today is going to illustrate that. When we read this chapter, 1 Samuel 25, in light of the previous chapter, We're going to see that David, the man after God's own heart, 
is capable of both great compassion and great foolishness. The story that we're going to look at today is about a totally unnecessary conflict that erupts between two men that could end up as a catastrophe. It was a conflict that was created by a man by the name of Nabal. With the help of David, the young leader who is about to become king of Israel. Neither of these men in this story are willing to calm down, back down, and choose a path of peace. At least not on their own. The story is also going to challenge us to see that a truly great leader is one who recognizes that pride and power, especially wounded pride coupled with power, is a dangerous cocktail that can blind us to God's pathway of peacemaking. If we find ourselves in a situation where our pride is wounded, we can be blind to the options that we have right in front of us to avoid conflict. We're also going to see in this passage that a great leader is one who can all actually admit their mistakes. A leader's willingness to admit they were wrong, as David will in this story, is extremely important. The story demonstrates that God can continue to shape anyone's character. God has not given up on us, even when we are heading down the wrong path. The person who makes all of these amazing leadership lessons possible is a remarkable woman by the name of Abigail. And David's willingness to follow Abigail's lead is more evidence that David is capable of being a strong, wise leader. Because great leaders are also great followers. The most important lesson that we're going to learn from this passage is that a great leader is one who is willing to be a maker of peace. Abigail is a gifted diplomat. Being a peacemaker is at least as courageous as charging into battle with your sword drawn. Abigail is the strongest leader, I think, in this story because she is the wisest, most selfless character in the story. From a human perspective, she is the hero who steps in and prevents David from pursuing what really is a morally bankrupt plan. Okay, let's jump into this incredible story. In the first three verses of 1 Samuel 25, we're going to meet the main characters of the story. First, we're going to meet again Samuel. He was the last judge in Israel's history. Last week, Chris Pan talked about Deborah, who was one of the judges of Israel. We're also going to meet again David, the young man who was on his way to becoming the second king of Israel. And we're going to meet an unhappily married couple by the name of Nabal and Abigail. Quite a story. Oh my goodness. So what in the world is going on? Well, let me just share with you some of the things that occurred to me when I was studying this passage. Remember, God might be speaking something else uh, to you. As I read this story, I wondered about the impact of the death of Samuel on David's life. Uh, with Samuel's death, it was the end of an era of the judges. Um, but that must have been a tremendous blow to David. David had lost this personal champion and a wise counselor and a guide. 
David lost a man in his life who had seen potential in him, maybe potential that he himself didn't recognize. Samuel had spoken God's blessing into David's life, and the loss of that voice of encouragement most likely left an enormous hole in David's soul. David had probably dreamed of the day when he would be publicly anointed king of Israel and had always assumed that Samuel would be there, and now he won't be there. Could it be that this became an unprocessed loss in David's life that ended eating away at his heart? Let me tell you why I wonder that. With any loss comes grief. And grief has its stages that help us heal emotionally. But all too often, this normal process gets stalled or sidetracked or pushed underground. And when we push our grief deep down inside of us, there are emotional consequences. And often the consequences of unprocessed loss and grief is anger. Could it be that this is part of the explanation of what we're seeing in David? To make matters worse for David, King Saul was out to get him. Saul was incredibly jealous of David and was determined to kill him. Could it be that in this highly charged environment, David unleashes anger that had been seething deep inside of him with the loss of his mentor? Who can say? But I think the death of Samuel stirred something in David because after Samuel's death, David becomes much more aggressive. What this passage tells me is that we need wise counselors in our lives who know the heart and character of God. David lost a wise mentor, but as we saw, he gained a wise counselor in Abigail. So what happens in this story? David moves his troops into the neighborhood of a wealthy land over by the name of Nabal, whose name means fool. Now that, that's got to be a nickname. It could not be that his parents, on the day he was born, looked at him said, oh, let's name him Fool. You know, that's going to be great when he's in junior high. That's not, <laughs> that couldn't have happened. He had to earn this nickname. The message paraphrase of the Bible uh, describes Nabal as brutish, not British, but brutish. As I read this story, I thought about Nabal and Abigail. I was struck by the fact that this was a really unlikely marital match, at least from modern standards. Um, how did that happen? You know, marriages were arranged in those days. Um, but how did she end up with this brute of a man? But both husband and wife are going to live up to their initial descriptions in the story um, later in this story, as you saw. Maybe their marriage has started out differently, but now they are clearly in a conflicted relationship. Let me tell you a little bit about Samuel in the context in which all of this is happening. Samuel had reluctantly gone along with the demands of the people that Israel wanted a king like the rest of the nations around them. Saul was that first king. Samuel tried to point out to them, said, you already have a king. Yahweh, the God of Israel, is your king. You have leaders who are serving underneath his, God's leadership. You don't need a king, but they insisted. You know, whenever we lose sight 
of the fact that all of us are called to exercise whatever leadership or influence that we have, however big or small that might be, when we lose sight of the fact that we are to exercise that influence under the authority of God himself, it's then that we make some really big mistakes. It's then we often abuse even the littlest bit of power that we have. And if our pride is wounded or we have deep underlying anger in our lives, we can be consumed by that anger and we can end up hurting a lot of people. In this interaction with Nabal, David does something that is incredibly arrogant and extremely dangerous. He sets out to appoint himself as judge, jury, and executioner. It looks like David has lost sight of the fact that his authority, his leadership, is to be exercised as a follower of the king of kings. So what unfolds in chapter 25 is so interesting to me when it's compared to what happened in chapter 24. In the previous chapter, David demonstrated tremendous restraint and respect for King Saul. David had already been anointed king secretly by Samuel. And now the current king, this guy by the name of Saul, was intent on killing David. In the previous chapter, David and some of his men were hiding in the caves of En Gedi, which is near the Dead Sea. Last summer, 50 people and I traveled with Marianne Michin and Karen Makashima here to En Gedi, to this oasis, and saw the caves where David and his men were hiding. In 1 Samuel 24, the previous chapter, the text says that Saul came into that canyon. And he went into one of the caves, apparently, to make shishi. It's not the term that they use in the scripture, but he went in to take care of his business. And David's men go, now's your chance. Take him out. He's occupied. Kill him. And David says, no, I'm not going to do that. What unfolds here in chapter 25 stands in stark contrast to the David that we saw in chapter 24. Saul was out to kill David, and he has respect and compassion. Here in chapter 25, Nabal merely insults David, and David is ready to kill him and every male in Nabal's family. Something's happened in David. What happened? What happens in you and me when something goes off in us like that? Do we stop and ask ourselves, what in the world was that all about? It's super important that we develop and cultivate the capacity to be self-reflective. It takes courage to stop and ask ourselves about the inner motivations behind our actions. Little good can come if we are unable to be self-reflective. An inability to be self-reflective when it's coupled with wounded pride and underlying anger is a recipe for disaster. Sometimes when we possess even a modicum of power in a given situation, we think we don't actually need to be self-reflective. For the boss, we can convince ourselves that it's all about the, the activities of the employees. But when we're unwilling to stop and ask ourselves about our reactions, we have become a hazard to everyone around us. If we're unable to stop and ask ourselves when our emotions are getting away from us, 
if we're unwilling to ask ourselves why we react the way we do, we're in trouble. Just because we have power, even if it's small amounts of power, does not give us the right to act in any way that we want to act. Every single one of us who are a follower of Jesus Christ live our lives under the authority of Jesus. This is a very important lesson that I'm continuing to learn. So what again is this fight about between uh, David and Nabal? Nabal is a rich guy. He's in the process of shearing his sheep, all 3,000 of them. When David hears that Nabal is shearing his flock, he sees an opportunity to to be paid for protecting Nabal's shepherds and, and herds. So David asked these 10 guys to go and ask nicely for provisions um, for he and his men. David believes that Nabal actually owes him for protecting him. Uh, Nabal doesn't seem to have requested this from David. David provided it anyway. Um, this is not quite an act of extortion on David's part. But David's demanding payment for protection that Nabal apparently did not ask for. One commentator has written, uh, it's unclear how exactly David's men serviced Nabal's shepherds as they only mentioned that they did not mistreat them or steal anything from them. This is not exactly something that seems worthy of payment. Other people will say that was a dangerous place to raise sheep. So the fact that they provided protection is something that is worth some sort of remuneration. But here's what's happening. The problem with what David is doing. This may have been the way things were done in the surrounding nations. Israel was supposed to be a distinctively different nation. David is veering, I think, out of his God-defined lane. That distinctive lane that God had given the people of Israel and is acting like the people that surrounded Israel. When the events of this chapter, 25, are put alongside the events of the previous chapter, I think we've got a vivid picture of what it takes, what takes place in all of us. We're all called to live this distinctively Christian life. And we find ourselves in an epic battle about what is going to shape our values and priorities, our character. Is our character going to be shaped by the values of the culture around us? Or are we going to allow God himself to shape our character? Here's the fight between Nabal and David. David wants provisions. Nabal has them. He sends 10 young guys to ask politely for Nabal's payment. Nabal says no. David flips out. It seems like it's not a matter of life of death and death because David has 200 guys stay back and guard the supplies they already have. So here, but here's the even larger context of this fight. The region where Nabal in, uh, lives is a place uh, where King Saul had built a monument to himself. It was a, a, an area where there was, uh, Saul was there were a lot of supporters of Saul. It seems likely that Nabal is probably a supporter of Saul as well. And so he looks at David as a usurper. He says it in the passage. He accuses David of being one of those rebellious servants who are breaking away from their masters these days. So these are complex deep stories that we're reading about. And unlike the restrained David that we've seen before, David is ready to kill a lot of people due to the rudeness of one brutish man. David's wounded pride is leading him to a disaster. 
Slaughtering the house of Nabal would not only have been wrong, but it would have undermined his support of the Israelites in the area. David was on the verge of making a very, very bad mistake. His rise to power up to that point had been free of blood guilt, and now that is threatened. Neither Nabal or David, in my opinion, have the moral high ground in the story. The only person who comes close to reflecting the character and wisdom of God is the woman that we meet, the woman that God graciously sends to intervene. Her name is Abigail. Abigail plays a role in this story that's similar to the role that Mordecai played in the story of Esther. She calls out of David his better character. Here are the characteristics of a great leader that we see in Abigail. Humility, emotional intelligence, wisdom, restraint. These are all characteristics of a good leader. Let's look at uh, evidence of her leadership abilities. Nabal's servants trust her. As I said a few weeks ago, that our leadership, our influence, is based on our capacity to build trust. She has built trust with her servants. And they know that they can go to her and ask for help, and she will act wisely. She's a reasonable person who will take the right action. And look what unfolds in the story. God spares David through the intervention of Abigail. Unlike her husband, Abigail shows great humility and respect when she meets David. Can you imagine this scene? She's alone on her donkey. 400 guys are coming down into the canyon, and it's just her and all those guys. Listen to her wise counsel. David had lost Samuel, his mentor. Abigail is going to coach him. She points out the gifts she's brought and expresses her faith that God is going to make David king. She encourages him to avoid avenging himself. She knows how to build trust. She communicates indirectly to David that she knows something about him. She alludes to David's victory over Goliath with a sling and pleads for David's forgiveness. And interestingly, she reminds David that God had kept him from bloodshed and from avenging himself with his own hands. She apparently had knowledge of the events that had occurred in the caves of Engedi. Abigail's speech to David opens his eyes. As he listens to her, he realizes how close he was to blowing it. David responds with praise to God for sending Abigail to keep him from bloodshed and from avenging himself. David begins to take some deep breaths and cool down. He assures Abigail that he will not attack, but will grant her request. Abigail is a skillful negotiator whose leadership in this moment made possible a significant turning point in David's life. Abigail's wise words to David was, trust God with your future, David. Don't avenge yourself. God will take care of all of that. We want to lash out in anger. We want to nurse our wounded pride and take revenge. We must leave our desire for vengeance with God. As God says, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. 
Abigail is a skillful diplomat. She is the leader this situation needed. And because she acts courageously, a disaster for a lot of people was averted. I think Queen Elizabeth II is one of the great leaders of our time. From the time she worked on cars in World War II uh, to the time that she's driving her own car home from church in her 90s. Queen Elizabeth has been a remarkable leader. She's currently working with the Commonwealth of Nations to to save uh, uh, forests all around the world. She's continuing to lead in her 90s. In the British television series about Queen Elizabeth II called The Crown, there is a scene uh, of a much younger Queen Elizabeth where she outfoxes the Soviet Union by charming the Ghanaian leader who was about to give the Soviets a foothold in Africa. Her diplomatic efforts, courageous efforts, they culminate in a moment that I'm going to show you. Because of her negotiating prowess, it leads to a recommitment on the part of the United States to fund a hydroelectric dam project in Ghana. That development of that project in Ghana made that nation less vulnerable to the Soviet Union and their ploys. The true story uh, shows uh, the leadership skills of a remarkable woman. Are we, in our lives, willing to pursue uh, paths of peacemaking in our lives? You know, there was another king of Israel, a son of David, our Lord Jesus, when authorities hurled abuse at him, uh, did not retaliate. Uh, When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who is the final judge. And we are called to follow in his footsteps. So here are some conclusions, at least the things that I've been thinking about. God may have said some other things to you uh, as you thought about this text. First, we all make mistakes. But those mistakes don't need to be the end of our stories. Uh, We have a God who is all about fixing big blunders. Uh, We all need wise counselors in our lives who can get us back on course if we're veering into a ditch. We need to develop the capacity to be self-reflective. We need to be able to process our losses well. And to beware of how blind we might become when our pride has been wounded. We need to remember that whenever we have power, small as it might be, The exercise of that power and influence must be under the authority of Jesus Christ. We are accountable to him. Great leaders are great followers. David's willingness to admit he was wrong and follow the lead of another shows that he has the capacity to be a great leader. And being willing to be a maker of peace is at least as courageous as charging into battle with your sword drawn. Abigail shows us what great leadership looks like. She's the wisest, most courageous, most selfless character in the story. She's, from a human perspective, the hero. And we ask God that that God would make us more like her. But the only real hero in the story that is the human story is Jesus Christ. He is the one who can be fully trusted by every one of us. He is the one on whom we can build our lives. He is the one who can shape our character that we might 
respond to the things that happen to our, in our lives with his wisdom and grace and courage. Let's pray together. Oh God, we do ask that you would um, continue to be our teacher. God, we're grateful that that you have been so gracious and good to us. Lord, I pray as we think about conflicts we might be facing this week or today, um, I pray that you would, by your spirit, you would help us to know more of your peace. Pray that you would lead us to wise counselors who can help us sort through options. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be people who are eager to make peace when everything inside of us is wanting to avenge, to live out our anger, um, to respond with wounded pride. So we pray that you would teach us ways of peace in our personal relationships, Lord, in our community, in our world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to talk or to pray with someone after the service, the members of our prayer team uh, would be happy to talk and to pray with you. Now receive this blessing. Now to God who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his presence with exceedingly great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory and honor both now and forevermore. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Abigail proved to be a wise counsel for David. She recognized the situation, stepped in, and influenced David for the benefit of all. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45550 Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 930, and 1111. Follow First Prez on Twitter and Facebook. Download the First Prez app. You can watch First Prez sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. If you need more, call us at 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thanks for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2019 and produced by the media ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.